Thank you guys for being here this morning. Welcome to Dwell. How are you guys doing? It's a little gloomy out. Can we bring some sunshine into this room? <laughs> Good morning. All right, there we go. There's the energy. That's what I need. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm one of the I'm a pastor here at Dwell. <laughs> uh, I have the privilege of kicking off a new series for you guys this morning. We just wrapped up a series on the God who speaks, all about different ways God speaks. I encourage you guys to go ahead and go back to Facebook, check that out if you weren't here for that. So this week, this month, we're going to be getting into a Bible character. He's a character that probably a lot of you know about. If you grew up in church, you would have gone to Sunday school probably, learned all about his colorful clothes. His name was Joseph. And Joseph, we find his story in Genesis. And uh, we've titled this series, From Pit to Palace. Because Joseph, he has a crazy story of transformation, of going through all kinds of things, from going, being thrown into a pit to being exalted and triumphing and becoming Pharaoh's right-hand man, second in power to Pharaoh. Most power you can have over all of Egypt aside from Pharaoh. So Joseph's story, it's one of heroic redemption and forgiveness. Joseph was a loved son. He was a hated brother, a faithful servant, a victim of wrongful accusations, a prisoner, a prophetic dreamer, a powerful leader, and so much more. He was terribly mistreated. He lived high above the all-too-common reactions of rage, resentment, and revenge. He didn't choose to give in to those things. He chose righteousness instead. He deliberately chose to overlook the unfair offenses and to overcome enormous obstacles and to model forgiveness. And it's those reasons and so many more that, that we're going to spend a month on Joseph and really see what we can get from his life, what we can take from it and apply to our lives. So we're going to get into a lot of that in the coming weeks. Uh, and But this morning I'll be touching on a few of those things. Today we're going to talk through the setup of how it all happened. In order to understand why Joseph's story is so significant and has so much to say about our own stories, we need to understand where he's coming from, the relationships that he had, his relationship with God and his walk with God. So from a young age and well into what could have been some of Joseph's most prime years of his life, Joseph experienced all kinds of things that would appear to be setbacks. By any, if anyone's looking out from the outside, they would for sure say, Joseph, you got, you, know, you got a whole bunch of things working against you here, a whole bunch of setbacks. But the reality is that those things that Joseph went through and experienced, they were setting him up for greater things than he could ever have imagined. So my hope for us today is that as we look at this first part of Joseph's story, we come to the 17-year-old Joseph and see his family relationship, see how he was treated, that we'll start to see how your setback may be God's set up for you. So would you pray with me this morning, and then we'll jump into the message. God, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, that you are God who is high above all. You see the things that go on in this world and in our lives personally, and God, those things don't phase you. You know you are in control. You are God over all. You created all things. You have the power to 
redeem and to change hearts and minds, to open doors for us, to put in front of us opportunities that we could have never imagined, to give us a purpose and a plan for our lives that we can come to know, that we can come to follow in as we follow you, as we seek you. So I pray this morning, as we get into this word, that you would truly touch our hearts and minds, that you would truly speak to us and guide us into your truth. That wherever there's been confusion in our lives, wherever there's been uh, struggle or pain, that you would bring hope and healing to us this morning. And we ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles... We don't do this often, but you can turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 37. I'm not going to really have it up on the screen because we're going to kind of go through this whole chapter, but I am going to paraphrase most of it. I'll just call out a few verses here and there, but feel free to open it up, read through, kind of check me on the story a little bit. Uh, We'll be covering the whole chapter. So before we do that, I want to give you guys some context. So we see just how Joseph had so much working against him. And to start out, Joseph was born into dysfunction. He, like, had it bad from the start. To kind of help you understand that, I want to go into a little bit of his father's life. So his father was Jacob. And if you didn't know, Jacob meant deceiver. So Joseph was son of deceiver. Not a great, you know, father to have, (laughs) but Jacob, when he was younger, he was uh, someone who tried to deceive his father, Isaac, into giving their family's fortune to him when his brother Esau was the one who had the right. It all fell apart, and Esau was out to kill him, so Jacob had to flee, and he ran away more than 200 miles away, and he never saw his parents again. He found a place with his mother's relatives, though. But the only thing was, when he was there, he saw this woman, Rachel, who he fell in love with. But Rachel was his cousin. (laughs) So here he is, you know, far away from home, pursuing his cousin. (laughs) And his uncle was like, you know, you can have her, but you got to do some work for me. So essentially, his uncle cheats him and makes him a slave and doesn't give him Rachel. He gives him his other daughter. So here he is with the wrong cousin, you know. Poor, poor... (laughs) Poor Jacob. (laughs) But eventually, his uncle makes him a second deal. He's like, you know what? I did cheat you, but you can have Rachel, too. You just got to work a little longer for me. So he ends up marrying two of his cousins, their sisters, you know, and then also their their servants, uh, a couple of their servants. So he has altogether 12 sons and one daughter with his four (laughs) wives. Um, That's just how it was back then in Bible times. I don't know. Um, it could have been quite the reality show today. Uh, would have really, you know, had one up on those Mormon the, uh, sister wives. Is that what it is? Could have been on there. Uh, so, in the midst of all that siblinghood that was there in these multiple mothers, there was constant competition and strife. So, Joseph's setting for childhood, we can pretty much say, is not ideal. He's kind of born into setback. Things are kind of working against him, especially because he's so much younger than a lot of his siblings. And even the seemingly good things that Joseph had going on were working against him. Two main ones stick out here in Genesis 37 as we come to him, the 17-year-old Joseph. 
The first being that Joseph's dad, Joseph was dad's favorite. He was Jacob's favorite son. Anyone here know that you're your parents' favorite? Oh, we got a couple. Well, all right. Only children do not count. <laughs> and and he just raised his hand, but his dad's here with him, so he can't, he can't deny it, you know. Just put him on the spot. But there's a reason why a lot of kids don't know who their, fa- who their parents' favorite is. You know, I had four brothers, in case you don't know. I don't think any of us really knew that we were favorite. I had an inkling I was for a while um, because I was the youngest for so long, and then came along my other brother, and now it's like maybe he is. He's kind of like the only one left. Um, but parents don't usually talk about it. You know they have one, though, right? Like, it may be different from day to day, depending on how the kids are acting. But they don't talk about it. If they did, it would stir up a lot of bad blood in the family. But Jacob, he seems to have no concern whatsoever for this. So much so that he just makes it obvious that he loves Joseph so much. He loves all his kids, but he loves Joseph because he's his firstborn to Rachel, his true love. And not only is he his firstborn, he's his firstborn to Rachel after Rachel's experienced so many years of infertility. So Joseph was Jacob's beloved son among his 12 sons, and Jacob didn't hide it. In verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Joseph's famous for this multicolored robe, like I said, but many commentators point to something else that's much more significant, I think, to the robe. In the original Hebrew language, there's a word that means wrists or ankles, meaning that the robe, it would have been a long-sleeved robe. It would have extended to his wrists and down to his ankles. The significance of the robe being long-sleeved meant that simply that working garb in Joseph's day, it would, have been, it would have been shorter so that you have freedom to move around. They understood how that worked. You know, you're out in the field shepherding or uh, farming, whatever it was. They needed to have that free movement. So they, it left the, the arms and, and the legs free to work and easily move around. So by Joseph, by giving, being given this elaborate full-length coat, which is also a sign of nobility in that day, his father is boldly implying, you can wear this beautiful garment because you don't have to work like your brothers do. You can hang out here with me and my wives, <laughs> your mother and your, I don't know, what would they be? <laughs> Stepmoms, I guess. Um, if you have siblings, you know how good it is when you get to sit back. When you're younger, you get to sit back, watch TV while you're your brother or your sister is do, taking out the trash or doing the dishes or mopping. Life feels good when, you're, when you get to be that, that one that just gets to sit back while they're doing all the work. On the flip side of that, you know how much it can get under your skin as a kid when your siblings get away with doing nothing, when you're the one doing all the work. So for Joseph, he's probably feeling like he's living the dream. Anything outside of what he's got going on is probably going to be a downgrade to his lifestyle. He'd probably be like, no, thanks, I'm good. I like where I'm at. But the reality is that God had dreams for him too. Literally, God gave him two prophetic dreams. His brothers despised him for being the favored one. And he was free of doing labor and things 
would only get worse, though, when Joseph shares these dreams with his brothers. And one of the dreams, he's binding, they're all binding sheaves. And if you don't know what sheaves are, it's a bundle of wheat. Uh, so they're out binding sheaves. And Joseph's sheaf stands amongst the rest. And the, the others, his brother's sheaves, gather around it and they bow down. So that's dream number one. You can imagine the, the, the meaning of it's pretty obvious there. And his brothers weren't too happy that he was saying that they would be bowing down before him. So then they have the second one. And the second one is extremely similar. The second dream is that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bow down to him. So Joseph, he's probably living pretty comfortably, but God has plans for him. Plans that would require him to go through some things. To experience what would have felt like major setbacks in his life. Being sold into slavery. Being falsely accused of rape. Getting thrown into prison and forgotten about. He never dreamed of these things, but he also never dreamed of becoming a ruler of Egypt and saving thousands from famine. See, in our lives, we can't focus on the dream we have for our life always if it's not aligned with God's plan for us. We have to make sure that we check ourselves. A lot of times, God does give us desires in our hearts to do things that are within line, in line with his plans, but we have to make sure that we're pursuing God. And in the process of pursuing God, in the process of being selfless, I'm not saying, you know, we don't know if Joseph was selfish or not, but I'm just assuming he probably felt comfortable where he was. Uh, probably didn't want to, if he knew what was ahead, wouldn't have probably wanted to go through all those things so that he could be this ruler, so that he could save those people. Maybe he would have, maybe he wouldn't have. I know for us it can be hard at times to see the bigger picture, to know that even if we face these things that might cause so much stress for us or anxiety or hurt or pain or test our patience, that knowing that God had something else ahead for us that's even greater, some, some of us would shy away from it. We would be scared, but God wants us to take courage. God wants us to step into those things. He wants us to know the plans he has for us. And it starts by seeking him, by submitting to his will, submitting to him and choosing to, to say, I'm going to walk in your righteousness, God. I'm going to choose righteousness every step of the way. And we'll see that throughout the life of Joseph. He's a man of righteousness who makes wise choices, who honors God, who's faithful to God, who lives out his convictions, the things he knows are right, and who follows in those promises that God has given him. So we can't focus always on our dream for life, our desire for things that are going to lift us up, but we have to make sure that those dreams, those things are on, in line with God's plans. So you can see, as Joseph is the favorite of brother, as he has these dreams where his brothers are bowing down before him, the tension is increasing more and more in this passage. It goes on to say that his brothers went to the pasture to uh, their father's flock in Shechem. Jacob, he was a little worried about them because Shechem was actually an area that they had uh, invaded and, and gotten some payback in because their sister was actually raped there. So they were out in their, their father's flock in Shechem, and he was a little worried in, all, about all his boys out there. So he asked Joseph, who isn't out there because he doesn't have to work, 
He's chilling in his long sleeve colored robe. He asks him to go ahead and go out there and check on them. So Joseph heads out. It's a 50-mile journey. He goes out there to check on his brothers. When he arrives, some guy is just there and happens to know where they're at. He tells them they've moved on to Dotham, about 15 more miles away. So he continues on, and he goes out to Dotham. When his brothers see him off in the distance, they say, here comes the dreamer. The literal translation here of the Hebrew is master of dreams. The Living Bible translation says, here comes the master dreamer. So they heaped on Joseph this scornful phrase. They were sarcastic about it. But later this expression would become so appropriate to who Joseph was. And there's really, that's something to take encouragement from that even when people might scorn us or for doing the rightful thing, Joseph, I don't know, you know, if it was right or not to tell his dream. I assume that if it was a dream for God, from God, he had a conviction to tell it. So he was probably obedient and, and told it. Um, obviously, it wasn't going to be well received because his brothers already hated him. They already didn't want to talk to him. But Joseph was probably faithful to God in that. And he probably went ahead and shared this dream. And he trusted in God's plan, not fully knowing what that looked like, because we don't always fully know when God speaks to us what it entirely looks like. But God wants us to step into it. So take courage when people might you know, mock your faith or mock your, the choices you make that are choices of righteousness, knowing that God is going to use those characteristics in you that he's building up for your good, for the good of others. In Joseph's case, it was this master dreamer. They're making fun of him as they see him in the distance, but later he would become such a resource in the, the, the kingdom of Egypt as people had these dreams, as, as they had these dreams about famine that, that would be coming, but they couldn't interpret them, and they needed Joseph, this master dreamer, because God had given him that gift to interpret. So the very next thing they do is plot to murder him. They're miles away from their father, and they say, let's just toss him in a pit and say wild animal devoured him. Then the oldest brother, Reuben, he intervenes and buys some time so that he can try and rescue Joseph. He's the only one of the brothers that we see so far that it's like, okay, let's maybe not do this. Um, he essentially says, let's put him in a pit and let's just take a sec to think over this whole murder thing and let's grab some lunch, all right? Um, so this buys just enough time for Judah to come up with the bright idea, another brother, Judah, to get something out of Joseph, to gain something out of getting rid of their brother. They see some Midianite traders passing by and they choose to sell Joseph into slavery. Have you ever had your circumstances come into conflict with what you feel God's calling you to before? This is entirely the case in where we find Joseph at the end of chapter 37. He knows in some way, shape, or form that he's going to rule. God's revealed that to him. He had two dreams with the same meaning. And not just any dream, but they were dreams from God. They were prophetic dreams. And you know the difference if you've ever had one before where it's like, you know, the God-given dream. I never dream. I don't, 
remember any of my dreams. I hear that you always dream, but you just don't remember it. But I've had maybe one before that I felt like God was woke, woke me up from it, and it was the Spirit of God trying to say something to me. And maybe you've been there before, but you know. So Joseph, he knew. That stuck with him. Whenever God speaks to us, it sticks with you. And you hold on to that. You don't forget it. So he had those two dreams. But slavery looks a whole lot different than ruling authority. Slavery, it doesn't look like progress. Slavery looks like a massive setback to God's plan. But we know the full story. We know that if Joseph had never been sold into slavery, he would have never met the people in Egypt that he does who play an instrumental part in his triumph in the midst of seemingly hopeless circumstances. And we know that Joseph, he didn't have control over his circumstances. He couldn't control his brother's hatred and mistreatment towards him. That was their own thing, their own envy, their own jealousy that was just brewing inside of them that was causing them to become bitter, to become resentful towards him, and to want to murder to get to that point. Joseph didn't drive them to that. Sure, he shared his dream, but that was their thing. And he had no control over that, it coming to that extent. But the one thing he had control over was his faithfulness and obedience to God in the midst of mistreatment. You can't control other people's mistreatment towards you. You can't always do that. But you can control your faithfulness and obedience to God in the midst of mistreatment. No matter what we have going on in life, we have a choice to let our circumstances determine our attitude or let our faith determine our attitude. It's a choice that we make, and it's a difficult one. I, I'm not going to take it lightly that we face some difficult things sometimes that really can throw us off and and make us just want to retreat. But God wants for us to choose faith, to choose to trust in him, to believe in him, and let our attitude be formed and shaped by that as, as he shows us his peace and his love and his mercy in the midst of it, as he gives us his strength. And all it just takes calling out to him, asking him for that. So while most of us don't have 11 siblings plotting our death, trying to murder us, and selling us into slavery. I don't know, maybe there's one or two here. Uh, that, that isn't our reality. But the reality is that we all have an enemy that wants nothing more th- than to thwart God's plans for our life. He may use dysfunction in family to do it. He might have used that in the past. Or he may try to push you into a pit by luring you in through temptation and taking advantage of your weaknesses. But we know that God is on our side, that God wants the best for us, that God is with us. He's an ever-present God. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't forsake us even when we're in a pit, even when we're doubting him. He loves us all the same. He wants to draw us into his love so that he can give us new perspective, so that he can show us what we mean to him. That, he, that we are valuable to him, that he has a plan for us. So the chapter ends in verse 36 with this. It says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Meanwhile, meaning at the same time, 
His brothers go back, they take his robe, and they soak it in blood so that the technicolor, the multicolor robe is now one color. It's red, soaked in blood. And they bring it back to Jacob, and they deceive the deceiver, making him think that his beloved son has been killed. But meanwhile, while they've done that, while they've pitched Joseph off into slavery, the Midianites sold him in Egypt. God was doing something at the same time. He was still working. God's still at work even when we can't see it. Even when we don't see this full picture, God's at work. He's working things together for our good. We don't deny, you, you know, as Christians, we can't just deny the, the truth and reality as they are, the thing, as our circumstances are. We have to face those things. We have to face reality. We can't just shy away from it and be oblivious to it. That's not what we do as Christians. We engage it, we encounter it, we say, God, things are difficult, life is difficult sometimes, but you're greater than this. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, because God has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. So we don't deny those things, but we know that there's a greater reality at play. God sees you, and he sees the bigger picture than we'll ever be able to see. Sometimes he blesses us by revealing to us some of what that bigger picture is. Sometimes he speaks that th to us. He gives us glimpses of it. But whatever the case may be, we can rest in the confidence knowing that God, he keeps his word, that he's a faithful God, that God is the God of all wisdom, all power. He's the God who sees us and desires our good. And for us, we might encounter things in our lives that, to us, they look like setbacks. Whatever it might be, it might be a job that you thought you would get, that you really were like, wow, this, is, this fits me, who I am. This is the right thing for me. And you just don't get it. It's a setback to you. But maybe God has an even better one. Maybe there's a job that is even better for you. We don't know, but we have to do our part and seek out those things. Or maybe a setback might be a relationship that you have or a relationship that you want to have. Maybe you're still single and you're just looking for that spouse. And you're like, why am I where I'm at? I should have been married years ago. But God doesn't just see the setback. He sees a setup. He might be setting you up. He might be forming in you your character, changing who you are so that you're better prepared and more ready to support and love someone. Whatever it might be, God, the things that we might see as setbacks, God might be setting up something in our lives. And I also want to say that it's not just the things that we see as setbacks and God setting up something. Sometimes it is just pure evil we encounter. Sometimes we're just, we live in an evil world and we suffer the consequences sometimes of there being evil in this world. But God isn't weak. He's powerful. He's above evil. He's stronger and greater than evil. He can redeem the bad things that happen to us, the things that happen to us just because of evil. He can redeem those things. He can work them for his good so that we can look back at our lives and what we've gone through and say we're so much better because of God's working in our lives, because of his healing and his love in our lives. Because we've made it through those things. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell it, but I'll tell a quick story. Um, 
some of you probably heard it before. I've probably shared it with some of you. But uh, I love sharing the story of one of my aunts uh, who wasn't a Christian a few years ago, but she was having some pain in her back, and she had no clue what it was from. And she went to multiple doctors, and eventually she found out that she had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And it devastated her. She has two young boys. At the time, they were pretty young. My uncle, my dad's brother. And she didn't know where to turn or really what to do. Uh, She tried to find the best doctors and everything. But God was working in the midst. Meanwhile, God was working. She had a neighbor who reached out to her, who was a Christian, who asked if he could pray with her. She reluctantly kind (laughs) of shyly said sure, and he did, and nothing really happened of it. But then she had someone else invite her to a church. And she decided after a little bit that she would go. And when she was there, as she was hearing the message, it was the message of Lazarus being raised to life, Jesus raising him to life, God was doing a work by his spirit in her. And as she later prayed and cried out to God, she felt a heat move through her body. And she returned to the doctor and found that she was cancer-free. God healed her. And he redeemed that thing that was a major setback for her. She was a working woman, full-time working for a, a VP of marketing in a big company. She was busy, a mom, and it was a setback. But God was setting her up for her new life, a life in victory, a life that overcame disease. She's still cancer-free. It's like six years later. She's now able to be there and be a support for so many others and be a voice into so many others who have pancreatic cancer. God's given her a voice in that world because of what he's done for her. And she chose an attitude in that process of of finding healing to be confident that she was going to kick cancer's butt. And she did, with God's help, with God bringing healing. So I share that, and and I know that you know, not everyone does find healing because ultimately there's eternity and eternity is our, is our ultimate healing. So we might not always find healing from diseases or things, but I share that to say her setback was something that God was setting up. And for you, maybe it's not a medical thing. Maybe it's just, like I said, those circumstances in your life that things aren't quite panning out as you thought they would. Maybe some of you have been mistreated horribly by other people. Some of you, by analogy, have been thrown into a pit. Some of you have lived through lives of abuse. Some of you have lived through horrible treatment and known someone who's treated you so horribly. Maybe it was in your home and family. And maybe you feel like this cruelty that you've faced from different people who have mistreated you again and again have derailed you from God's plan for your life. And maybe you even think it's over for me now. What's the point? It's never going to be what it could have been. But what Joseph's brothers did to him, it could not derail God's plan for his life. In the same way, God's plan for your life cannot be derailed by the evil that other people have done against you. 
there's always hope. God, in an instant, can bring healing, can bring redemption by his spirit. If you don't know that, you can know that. So God's plan in your life can't be derailed, can't be thwarted when you're seeking him, when you're inviting him in. He hasn't left you at the mercy of other people. And I'm not saying, like I said, that people can't hurt you. They can, and they probably have, or maybe will in the future. But Jesus desires to be Lord of your life. No matter how terrible it's been in the past, maybe even in the present, where you're currently at, your circumstances, your situation in the present, it may feel terrible. But God is mighty, and he can redeem and restore. God can take evil and use it for his glory and his good. God's word will remain true no matter what anyone does to you. So I'm going to call Jackie up at this time. We're going to do another song of worship. Like Joseph was stripped, declared cursed, and put in a place of seemingly absolute hopelessness and devastation, and he wasn't rescued, so was the case for Jesus. To his disciples, to his followers, the cross was beyond a setback. It was the end of their hopes for God's kingdom to come. But they missed the very thing that God was setting up. That through Jesus' death on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. Everybody was probably standing around on that day thinking, Death has trapped Jesus. But Jesus, in fact, had trapped death. God had trapped death. Resurrection was coming. God set up life. Death had to come so that life could come. And you, death has to come sometimes so that life can come. Maybe the setback for you is yourself, your own sinfulness, your own sinful desires. And maybe you've struggled with that or wrestled with those things pull you away from God and your relationship with God, but God desires to pull you back in, to show you life, to set you up for even greater things than you could have ever imagined. The cross, it wasn't set up by Judas. It wasn't set up by Pharisees or Sadducees. It wasn't even set up by Herod. It was set up by God so that he could overcome death. He didn't suffer. If he didn't suffer, salvation couldn't spring forth like a well. If he didn't suffer, it could not flow forth. If he didn't die, he wouldn't have risen. But because of what Jesus did, you're not bound to what others have done to you. You're not bound to that hurt. You're not bound to that pain. You're not bound to that guilt. It simply comes by surrendering to God's plan by putting your trust in God's plan more than in your dreams, more than in those things, your selfish desires, whatever they may be. On the other side of your setback might be a job that's beyond your dreams, a relationship that draws you closer to God and pushes you to become a better person, more like the one that God created you to be. On the other side of your setback might be fuller and more meaningful life where you're better prepared to face those things, those struggles that are ahead, those future setbacks. On the other side of your pain might be redemption and healing that can bring hope to you and you can come in contact with that every single day. 
So as we close out, if God's doing something in your heart, I want you to respond to it. We'll have a couple people in the back ready for pray for you. If you feel like God's calling out those things in you that you feel like you're right now you're in a pit or you're feeling set back in some area of your life and you just can't see the full picture, you're just struggling to have faith and you want to invite Jesus in to bring hope, to bring forgiveness, to bring redemption and healing to your life and give you and show you this plan that he has for you because he's designed you, come and pray with someone. Or stand and worship. I'm going to pray and just invite you all to stand as we pray and as we sing this next song. God, we thank you so much for your love towards us, for your desire to set us up for success, but not on our own terms, not as we might see it, as you see it. You see, God, in us, you see full people, full of hope and joy and peace, full of life, true life, that can only be found in you, our creator. So just as Joseph, he, he experienced so many things that he felt like were setbacks, he experienced so many trials and tribulations and things that he had to go forward in faith. I pray that we would go forward in faith this morning, that we would surrender to you those things in our lives that are strongholds that are holding us down or coming in between you you and I and you and us, God, as, as it might be sins that we need to surrender, that we need to ask for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness in our lives that maybe we need to confess this morning. Maybe we confess those things before you and find forgiveness, find freedom. Maybe it's past hurts, past pains, other people mistreating us, things that are outside of our control. May we make the choice this morning to ask you, God, to invite you into those things, to invite you in to heal them, to invite you in to bring closure, to bring hope and healing. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I pray that you would do a work in their life and show them your plan for their life. In Jesus' name I pray.